Good morning. Really excited that James is here today. And uh, we have another teaching elder in the Presbytery as well. Yesterday, uh, Reverend Jonathan Conant was um, admitted to the Presbytery. He was going to be the new pastor at the Rye Congregational Church in Rye, New Hampshire. We're excited to see that he's working out of bounds. It's not a PCA church. It's a congregational church, but it has a long history of preaching the gospel there. And we're really excited to see Jonathan there as well. I was actually married in that church many, many years ago. Most of our family has been married and buried out of that church. If you would take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and would you please stand as we read our text this morning. We'll be looking at just three verses, verses 10, 11, and 12. Ephesians chapter 6. Finally. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You may be seated. Our Father and our God, as we turn to your word to teach us, to guide us, to fill us, to feed our souls, and I pray a, a selfish prayer that you would fill me with your spirit not to brag, boast, strut, preen, but to turn around and just empty myself into your people. And that in that, it's not me that's filling them, but your very words, your very spirit. I pray your spirit comes down in a mighty way in this congregation this morning, that these words they hear are not the words of me, but of the very words of you. I pray for those that are here that may not know you, that are in peril of their soul, that you would turn their hearts from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, put your spirit within them, grant them true repentance and saving faith where they can turn from their sin and call upon the Savior for salvation that will never run dry. And for those that are here that do know you, that you would again fill their souls anew with your word and that they would not just be filled up, but they would in turn pour their lives into others in service to you and your great commission for your glory only. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. When Jesus began his most famous sermon, which is the Sermon on the Mount, he started with a very strange opening. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What did he mean by that? I think our English doesn't really do us a, a service there. That word really is beggarly. 
or destitute, helpless, powerless to fill our spirits up. Only through Christ can we have a full spirit, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of love, the spirit of peace. And as these passages we're going to talk about, we're going to need that kind of spirit within us, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit within us. This is one of the least talked about and least understood truths of the Christian life. And it's the one that has the greatest capacity to shipwreck us, that spiritual battle that we all face. It's another one of those controversial topics or passages that Paul has brought up in the book of Ephesians. Chapter one, he talks about predestination that word that so many hate of God. They just can't get their mind around that God single-handedly chooses us and saves us. Or in chapter two, where God talks about total depravity or our radical corruption, where we have nothing good within us that we bring to Christ. We cannot save ourselves. It is his grace alone. And in chapters two and four, Paul talks about Jews and Gentiles coexisting, living in unity, even though they're different. A radical thought in the first century AD, they could do that. And in chapter five, he talks about marriage being an institution of mutual respect, love, and submission to each other. Just radical thinking, just out of the cultural thinking of that time. And now in chapter six, Paul's talking about spiritual warfare, and speaking boldly about it. We're not going to be speculative in this. We're not going to dig really deep. We only have an hour, an hour and a half left. So we'll, um, <laughs> he thinks I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I actually have no idea how long this sermon will take. I, I honestly, I don't. But we do want to look just the big picture of this, not a, not a microscopic view. We can't delve into every little particle of verb or tense here, but I just want to talk about three things, being strong in the Lord in verse 10, putting on the whole armor of God in verse 11, and in verse 12, this is no ordinary battle that we are in. Very often we look at this passage, we're kind of skipping these first few verses and we're looking at verses 13 through 18, and we're focusing on the armor itself. What's God actually given us to fight with? But I think having that preparation, that knowledge for the spiritual battle is key. For without it, we have disaster. Now look at, I think about David when he faces Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. When David's about to face Goliath, what did, he, what did he do? What had he already done in his life? We read, when these words that David spoke were heard, they were repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth. And he's been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. 
Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. It'll be like one of them. Knowledge, preparation, preparing for the battle to come. Just like David, he didn't just go up and fight Goliath with no experience. He had been in battles before. And he also know, knew that one who is faithful in little will be faithful in much, as Christ tells us in the book of Luke. David had already prepared himself mentally and spiritually for the battle of Goliath. How do we do this? How do we prepare ourselves spiritually, mentally? Well, first of all, we must be in Christ. And if you've been in this church in the past year, you've heard that term used dozens of times. 32 times just in this book, Paul is admonishing us to be in Christ. Why is he saying that? Because he talks over and over about our fallen condition, how we are dead in our sins. We have no hope of redemption. We have no desire to even love Christ or want to be with Christ. But Christ makes us alive. God is rich in his mercy and causes us to call out in faith and become new in him. And then we prepare ourselves by walking with Christ. We talked about that extensively in chapters five and six, how we're to walk with Christ. We're to be a believer and we're to be committed, a disciple, not a bystander. The battle is going to come, Paul tells us. As a follower of Christ, you will not, you cannot ever be a bystander in this battle. Paul knows this and is preparing his flock. And the first thing he says is, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Paul is saying here, pay attention. After all this teaching I've given you on orthodoxy in chapters one through three, and on orthopraxy, meaning how do you live out your life? Here is where it gets real. Here is where we really find out what's happening in the real world. He's already given us lots of, lots of preparation. Just in the past few verses, employers, employees, how to work for Jesus instead of just working for your boss, talking to children and parents, how to look to Christ as the obedient son, how to look to God as the loving father, husbands and wives. You're actually married to Christ, not just each other. He told us how to walk in unity, to walk not as the Gentiles, to walk in love, to walk as children of the light, to walk wisely. He talked about Gentiles belonging to the family. We can't just exclude them and say, no, you're not Jewish. You can't be part of this. We too were Gentiles at one point, unregenerate. We must remember God has chosen us. Christ has redeemed us. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. And we are to walk in good works. The key to Ephesians, the key to all of the Christian life is to be in Christ. And he laid those foundations in chapters one and three. And now he's saying, be strong in the Lord. 
And actually, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but I do have some access to studying the language. And this is a passive tense here. That's, that sounds so strange. Why would he be passive in your strength? Because it's not your strength that you're to be strong in. You're to be strengthened. You're to be made strong, not in your own strength, but in God's strength. This is a very consistent theme of the Bible. It's obviously been shown in the lives of the martyrs, the apostles. You know, when they, Jesus didn't just come and say, follow me, and they got off the boat, and they walked a few feet, and they were put onto a cross and martyred. And Amos didn't just one day dressing figs and the next day he's preaching to the whole nation of Israel or Isaiah or any of the other great prophets. He went through a long time of learning and learning to walk with the Lord, being disciplined in their prayer life and in worship and in study of scripture. It's God's grace that has saved us. Isaiah says, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid for the Lord. My God is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. It's God's grace that it saves us. And it is God's strength that will sustain us in the battles of life. Isaiah goes on to say in Isaiah 41, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We are to be strong in the Lord. And in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Putting on the whole armor of God. This is a command. This is not a suggestion. In 1 Corinthians, when Paul's talking about marriage, he says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. There are times that Paul just gives a suggestion, but here there's no ambiguity. This is a direct command. It's as if the mouth of Christ had uttered this. And then Paul goes on to explain exactly how we are strengthened in this armor by wearing God's full armor that is making use of trusting that it's God's armor, not ours. It's to be used fully. We don't pick and choose which parts of it we want to put on. It's his design. It's designed for exactly what we need. Christ knows the battles you're going to face and is going to prepare you to face them. We have no way of knowing what we'll be facing. And an attack can come at any moment and without any warning. Just think about Eve. Perfect woman. Perfect man. Perfect place. What happens? The serpent comes to deceive. Look at Joseph, been given a great revelation by God about his future. And his brothers sell him into slavery. And then it gets worse when Potiphar's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, tries to seduce him. 
And then it gets worse when he does the right thing and he's thrown in prison. Think about Job. Look at Job says that he was the most righteous man in all the earth. Can you imagine that? The most righteous man. Peter. He thinks he can just do it all. And he's thinking that because he loves Christ so much. What does Christ say to him? Peter, Peter, Satan has asked for you. He wants to sift you like wheat. And then just a few hours, you'll deny me that you even know me. The whole armor of God. And in Greek, this is panoplia. It means it's all one word. It means the full, the complete armor, not to be split up. But how do we live our lives day to day? Well, I think I'll skip reading my Bible today. I don't know if I want to go to church this week. I don't have time to pray. God has given us the means of grace to live our lives even before we're in the battle. Prayer, scriptures, the preached word, the sacraments, the church. And what do we do? Pick and choose. Ignore. Waste. Squander our resources. If we're going into battle, we must put on the armor of God. You know, I was thinking about putting on your armor. And I've never been in the military, so I've never worn armor. But um, I'm thinking, you know, you don't just jump out of the shower and put your armor on. You got to put on your skivvies and your battle fatigues to put on underneath it. And that's kind of like just doing the basic preparation of walking by faith, living in Christ, being in the word daily, using those means of grace. That's what the armor goes over. Think about David and Goliath. David just didn't step onto the battlefield. He had prepared himself in advance. Think of it as like basic training versus advanced training. I was talking to a friend of mine a few years ago. He had just been through basic training in the infantry and in the Marine Corps. He's an officer and he says, I'm going to advanced training. I'm like, what do you mean? He says, well, the basic stuff, just how do you put your uniform on? How do you salute? How do you shoulder a rifle? How do you march? The advanced stuff is like, how do you really fight? And then how do you take those weapons you have and really put them to use your tactics, your training? And I think about our jobs, our, our whole life. We must learn to be more proficient. We must have that desire. We must want to excel in our faith, always wanting to learn more. I thought about Michelangelo in his 80s said, I'm still learning. Probably the greatest sculptor slash painter ever said, I'm still learning how to do my craft. Still learning this. Think about firemen. I was having lunch at the Rotary a few years ago with uh, in Rochester, and I'm sitting next to one of the firemen. I'm thinking, what do firemen do? They They go fight fires occasionally, and then they just sit around the firehouse and cook and live together as a bunch of guys. And he's like, and I didn't bring it up. He said, yeah, we were talking about this. I, we'd had a fire in our neighborhood. And he said, yeah, we, we trained for that. I'm like, what do you mean? He says, well, we sit down in the day when we're not fighting fires and we have either classes on how to fight fires or we block out sections of the city and we'll put like a, a large map and we'll say, well, what if there's a fire here? 
we will park the trucks here, the pumping truck, because we know there's a hydro, we'll put the, the ladder truck here. We need, to, we need to evacuate people here. They have plans for like every building in the city. So if there's a, I'd never thought of this. I mean, the amount of planning, the amount of desire they have to excel at their craft and want to be better. We should be like that. We should have that mindset. We who have pledged our allegiance to the king, we need to be pledged to support that battle, to be a disciple there, to want to be engaged, to want to know how to fight better. But why do we fail to do just those basics? Pride. I'm good. I'm all set. I can handle this. Sometimes it's just a failure to see the need. And sometimes this can seem legit. I mean, if you're a, I think of my daughter with two small children under the age of three, and there's just, there's diapers everywhere and there's poo and there's, you know, dishes in the sink and there's toys everywhere. And just go into the store. It's like, that's a lot to think about. And there's just so much. It's just, you just get overwhelmed with life. You're, you're a boss and you're thinking, my boss wants me to work more hours or, just so many ways our lives can just encroach upon us. The lure of the world. The devil's deceived us. And that started we knew in the garden with that perfect woman, perfect man, perfect place. And the devil saying, God doesn't really love you. You know, you'd be so much better off if you had this. And sometimes we're just so ingrained in the ways of the world. I don't think the devil even tries. He doesn't need to. You got really, really good internet. You got a really good phone or laptop. You know, I got that. I just bought that house on the lake. I got that boat. Like, devil doesn't even need to try to shake you up. I'm not against the internet or nice cars or firearms or hobbies or, but it's, what is the priority in your life? Are they getting in front of that? We must also remember that this is God's battle we are in. When David was fighting Goliath, they're about to fight Goliath. What did he say? First Samuel 17, verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come at me with a sword and with a spear and a javelin. Remember, David just had five rocks and a slingshot. And this guy has state of the world weapons with him. I come to you. In the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword nor with spear. It's God's battle that you're fighting. And it may seem like yours when your boss is yelling at you. 
when those kids are unruly, when you get in that car wreck and you're tempted to sin. But we're in a fight. And like David, the battle is already won. Says the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. We need to be standing for Christ. Why do we need to stand? Because Satan is not taking this line down. We are standing against the schemes of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And this word stand or the word withstand will be repeated three more times in the following verses. Satan is even at this moment actively planning, scheming how to defeat us, how to make us retreat, how to make us fall, how to discourage us, how to trip us up, how to take your joy, how to discourage you. I've got a a friend named Glenn. He goes by Uncle Glenn because he He's about my age. He's kind of looks like Santa Claus, got the beard and everything. And he helps with young people at his church. He's been discipling teenagers for several years. And he had a teen coming in this summer and say, I'm leaving the faith and you're the reason for that. And Glenn has poured his heart into this young man for three or four years. And obviously it's not because of something Glenn did that this man is leaving the faith or said he's leaving, but that's a satanic attack. And think of how discouraging that is to love somebody for so long, have them just turn their back and blame you about it. Peter tells us to be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That was driven home to me in 2017. I went back to Africa for the second time, and I went on a hunting safari, then went on a photo safari, and they have a park called the Kruger National Park. It's kind of like our Yellowstone, except it's like twice as big is Yellowstone, and everything there can eat you or kill you. And it's really, I mean, I have a friend that went to Africa years ago, and he was on a safari, and he said to his guide, he says, I want to go jogging. And the guide says, no, that's not a good idea. He's like, why not? He said, the only thing that runs here is food. (laughs) (laughs) But when you go in the Kruger, it's totally fenced in. I mean, this is thousands and thousands of acres. It's like, you know, 200 miles tall. 75 miles wide, and the whole thing is fenced in, really tall fences, and you go in through gates, and they tell you when you're driving around, do not get out of your car. If you want to get out, you have to go to established campgrounds or established areas where there are vistas and it's gated off or or secure, because there's grass everywhere that's about maybe two to four feet tall, and there are lions that live there, and when a lion is brown living in, laying down in brown grass, You can't see it. And they would attack. They are not little kitty cats. They are bred to eat things that are large. And it really drove home to me that the devil is roaring around like a lion, seeking someone to devour. 
The devil is an angelic being. As such, he has immense power. He has immense knowledge, ability, the likes of which are unknown to us. But he is a created being. He is not co-equal with God. He has immense power, but it is only some power. He has immense knowledge, ability, but it is limited to what God has given him. He is not omnipotent. He is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. Only God can be that. And as Martin Luther said, the devil is God's devil. The devil is under the control and the dominion and the governance of God Almighty. You look at Job chapter one and Job chapter two. The devil didn't have free reign on Job. God had to allow that to happen. So while we should be aware of his powers, we must always remember that God is in total control. And when we face the devil, we should not be always facing him from a defensive position. I will build my church, Christ said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Gates are a defensive tool. We don't attack with gates. Gates are meant to sit behind. We are to assault those gates. We are not just to wait for the attack. We are to bring the fight to the devil. In 2 Corinthians, we read in chapter 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Destroying arguments, destroying those ideas that are pernicious and pervasive and against what God teaches. Be strong in the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God and stand against the devil. And remember in verse 13, this is no ordinary battle. Or verse 12, excuse me. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What is the nature of our battle? It is not cultural. It is spiritual. 50 AD, approximately this was written. It's the same as 2023 AD. Virtually the same. We need the same armor. We need the same knowledge of Christ. We need the same Christ living in us. Just the dates and a few names and places have changed what we're fighting. And we are wrestling. When I was growing up, it was wrestling. 
because you would watch the live Atlanta wrestling on Saturday night from the Atlanta auditorium. And you knew it was fake. I mean, the names they had, you know, Abdullah the Butcher and King Kong and that, you knew it was just playing. But this is wrestling. And the word there is to pin somebody by their throat to the ground. If you picture that, your opponent is on the ground and your foot is on their throat, ready to crush them. This isn't T-ball. This isn't Cub Scouts. Think of David and Goliath, a fight to the death. And then we don't battle flesh and blood. Flesh and blood are things of mankind. This is not an ordinary battle. This is rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces. And it's not our job to classify, to speculate, to peer beyond what scripture has revealed here. And some have tried to do that but we can know it will be personal. It will be demonic. It will not just be in personal, social, cultural forces against this. And their only aim, their only purpose is to bring total evil and wickedness against God, against his kingdom and against his people. This present darkness, this present darkness, however, will end. John writes late in life in 1 John 3, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Be strong in the Lord. Put on God's armor. You are not in an ordinary battle. A warning about standing firm. We must be living in Christ. We must be living in Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. We must be in his strength. We must be in his strength. David writes of this in 2 Samuel 22, verse 40, and the identical verse is quoted in Psalm 18, 39. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. And lastly, we must be walking with Christ as a warning to stand firm. And we've already talked about that five times just in this book. Christ has taught, uh, Paul has told us how to walk. We cannot wage war, however, if we're living in open rebellious sin. We cannot wage war against the devil. We cannot be in this battle if we're living in open, unconfessed sin. Is that you today? Living with someone, cheating someone, slandering someone. If so, you're not even in the fight. And we can't wage war in our own strength, our own power, our own wisdom. Is that you thinking, 
I don't need to go to church. I know all I need to know. Or I don't like that preacher. I don't need to hear him. I don't need to read that word. I don't need to pray. We must be living in total obedience to Christ. Is that you willing to sacrifice everything, willing to pledge everything? Because when the battle starts, when the arrows fly at us from unexpected places, where are you going to be? Are you going to be in the fight? If you are in that fight, this is God's promise to you. Deuteronomy 31, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in sight of all of Israel, be strong and courageous for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord your God has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And the thing that we know is that, like David with Goliath, the battle's already won. The battle is already won. Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me, in me you may have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Satan will be defeated. Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Will you be in that battle? Will you be in that battle? I think one of the most challenging verses in the Bible and one of the most saddest is Ezekiel 22, verse 30. And I sought for a man among them that they should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. In ancient Israel, they weren't willing to stand up for Christ. They weren't willing to stand. And some of you think you're in the fight and you're not. And I thank you, Matt, for not stealing part of my sermon. But in Matthew 25, and I'm glad you stopped reading where you did. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. Some of us think we're in the fight. Some of us think we're doing God's work. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You curse in the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry. You gave me no food. I was thirsty. You gave me no drink. I was a stranger. You did not welcome me. Naked, you do not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you do not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when, we not, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? He will answer to them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. 
and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. In other words, if you're not a disciple, you're not a, a not only a believer in Christ, but a follower, one who is discipled, one who is in the battle, you will not be there. But for those of you who are soldiers, who are followers, who are disciples of Christ, Peter, who I think is more qualified than anybody to speak on this subject, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, Christ himself, restore, confirm, strengthen, establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our Father and our God, keep us in that fight. Keep us in that battle, not in our own strength, but only in Christ. Then here, O gracious Savior, accept the love we bring, and we who know your favor may serve you as our King. For whether our tomorrows be filled with good or ill, we'll triumph through our sorrows and rise to bless you still, to marvel at your beauty and glory in your ways and make a joyful duty our sacrifice of praise, the name of our precious Savior, who didn't leave the battle, who stayed on the cross for you, for me, with the humility, with the shame, with the pain, with the displeasure of the Father, taking the wrath of the world. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.